following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like good hair day kind of good. Phone charge to 100% good. Getting dressed can feel just like that when you have a Trunk Club stylist. Because not only do we send you lots of outfits and accessories, we also teach you how to style them. And since we're a Nordstrom company, you know you'll be well taken care of. Look and feel great every single day with Trunk Club. Meet your personal stylist at trunkclub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com. Welcome to the Forbes interview. I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, I'll do in-depth interviews with billionaires, entrepreneurs, and influencers. Today, we're going to talk media with John Amato, the CEO of the Hollywood Reporter Billboard Media Group. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Give me the state of the union, so to speak, of your media group, because everyone knows Billboard, everyone knows Hollywood Reporter, you know, covers massive amounts of stuff. Now it's all together. What's going on? So the Billboard, or the Hollywood Reporter Billboard Media Group started when I took over Billboard in April of 2013. At the time, we had uh, really interesting, strong brands in the B2B space. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter was much further along at that point mm-hmm. and actually being a, a B to what we would call I, I guess, at that point. What's the uh, I? Influencer. Oh, okay. Right? So, so broader audience than straight B2B, but, but not quite at full scale yet. And the thought was these really, really, really big brands in a world that was transitioning the way that content was distributed could end up being powerhouses in their respective fields. And so starting in 2013, we began amalgamating Billboard, The Hollywood Reporter, and subsequently uh, Spin Vibe and Stereo Gum mm-hmm. into what we believe were the, the biggest brands in music and entertainment from a sophisticated or insider's perspective, right? I think very much the way that you would think of Forbes covering the finance industry, but also being able to have mass scale. Mm-hmm. We believe that for music and entertainment, Billboard and The Hollywood Reporter could, could do the same thing. Yeah, because originally, I mean, both those titles were technically trade magazines, trade publications, but in the sexiest trade in the world and definitely household names, especially when, when I think about Billboard, they have the music awards. They have, everyone's looking at that, that list, like you know, Forbes is known for lists. Billboard has that list. So everyone, it's such a name brand, but I imagine originally the readership was just industry folk. It was 100% industry folk. It was um, small circulation bases, which we actually at the time thought, saw as an asset, mm-hmm. uh, not a liability. Um, and it was really coming off of a time when TMZ and Perez Hilton were, had, had taken off, and then, yeah. and then there was a backlash to that. And, and my original thesis was, you want your entertainment news from the same place that Jeffrey Katzenberg gets it, or you want your music business news from the same place that Jay-Z gets it, right? And we knew that if we took that sophisticated lens and then used the internet and the mobile phone to distribute it to mass audiences, that we had something special and we didn't have to build an entire circ base, mm-hmm. which is timely and, and expensive. We could go and take that content. It was, a, you know, it was an interesting place in time when distribution of content changed. And so we knew that we could become the biggest or, or you know, very close to the biggest brands in both music and entertainment. In music, we're, we are the clear leader. Like we are much, much, much bigger than any other music publisher. Mm-hmm. In The Hollywood Reporter, it's a different world because we wouldn't take pictures of, let's say, the royal baby 
and put it on the cover of Hollywood Reporter. It's not what we do. But I think from a sophistication lens, we are by far the biggest. And taking a moment to thank our supporters, Amica Insurance, Rocket Mortgage, and Veridesk. You'll hear more about these companies later in the show. Originally, most of your, your advertising base and your revenue was from the insiders. I kind of think of, you know, in the Wall Street Journal when they used to have, they used people to take ads on those tombstones. Every time they closed a deal, like, they would put that in the journal because everyone read it. I always, I, I always remember kind of, I think it's Hollywood Reporter flipping through and around Oscar time, it's always like, oh, for your consideration, and they take ads out. Is that still predominantly the case? That's about 60% of our business now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at the time, in 2013, it was probably, well, on Billboard's side, it was, it was probably 85 or 90% of the business. Hollywood Reporter had, had, had really found a lane in luxury at that time because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we just, the, the belief from luxury advertisers is you reach Hollywood and that cascades down. So we had had a, a slightly more mature uh, luxury business at the time, but we had almost no national consumer business. Mm-hmm. Now national consumer is almost, uh, it, it's over 40% of our business, uh, you know, single digit percentage points over, but mm-hmm. it, it's been our, our big growth story from a revenue standpoint. How do you kind of juggle, you know, reporting on Hollywood when at the same time you need Hollywood to support you? It's kind of like, how do you be objective journalists and not also like get shut out? It's, I mean, everyone, I think every magazine has that problem, but with you guys, it seems very, I mean, back in the day, very tightrope to walk. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't get involved in, in our newsrooms other than, than ensuring that, uh, that we have who I believe to be the very, very best people running them. Uh, I think that we have a level of respect with our subjects that, that goes back and forth on both mm-hmm. the, the entertainment and music side. And, and it's really the job of our editors to ensure that they're properly communicating with, with subjects but we, we have an obligation to, to, to tell the news, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and I think that, that people respect that. And when, when you're the leader, you get there by being responsible and telling that story. Mm-hmm. So 2003, you came in. and 2013. Sorry, 2013, you came in. And it's, it must have been a fascinating time because you know, social media was strong, but I think it was really taking off then. And as I think everyone knows, nothing does better on social media than celebrities, musicians, movies. Um, it must have been a huge challenge and a huge opportunity. Like, what was that like? Yeah, I uh, when when I came in 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 2013, I said we're going to dedicate a tremendous amount, like um, probably overspend in social media in in, in the near term, and everybody freaked out. Mm-hmm. And I think that I have to actually take several steps back to to explain the state of the union when I walked in the door in 2013. At the time. of the resources of the entire company were dedicated to the magazine, right? And it's a weekly. 90%. 90%. And so, and they were also, there's a a editorial culture that was ingrained in being in print, right? And I'm using finger quotes here, right? Where the, the value of the work that you were doing was gauged on whether or not you were in print or Mm -hmm. not in print. And so we had a, before we even were able to get to social media, we had to re-educate a lot of folks on, you can be in print, and that is a significant part of what you're doing, and you could also reach 700,000 people Mm -hmm. in a single day through distributing online. And so we had to, we had to, we had to build a culture that was open to being entrepreneurial, and when we think about our business today, we look at it and we say, we compare ourselves in print to our print competitors. And then incrementally on top of print, we built 
a very strong digital newsroom. Mm -hmm. And we compare ourselves digitally to Vox or BuzzFeed or Forbes or um, any of the even more, you know, newer digital publishers, Complex or or some of those Mm -hmm. folks. When we think about our social practice, we compare ourselves to ATTN or we compare ourselves to other just straight socially native publishers. And when we look at our video business, we compare ourselves to the likes of the Young Turks Mm -hmm. and, and, and folks like that who are pure digital video players. And to build that culture where people could look at different peer groups to compare KPIs, and I don't say that we're competitors because we don't compete with Forbes ever on, you know, RFPs. Mm-hmm. It's more about look at the folks who are doing well, who are actually native to that publishing, and let's use their KPIs to judge whether or not we're doing well. And I think that most publishers, if you look at some of the bigger historically print publishers, like let's say Time Inc., uh, they weren't looking at themselves that way. And they couldn't convince their newsrooms to get out of their own way to look at themselves that way. Yeah, it's, it's funny. When I first started in Forbes in 2008, I was at Forbes Magazine. And then down the street was Forbes.com. And there was no interaction. And, um, you know, the, the magazine was definitely, you know, sleepy and snobby. And then the, you know, dot, dot com was, you know, scrap. It was a whole, it's a whole mix. And someone's one job was to, like, take one magazine story and digitize it for the web. And now it's amazing that... You come in and everyone has to do everything. You, gotta, you can't think of a story as a print magazine. You got to think of it as like a project and there's video, there's audio, there's the print, there's the web, there's the, the, the photos. Um, and that's great for you guys because what you do is just you cover the media, you cover multimedia to begin with. So it just must lend itself so well to what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, I think that, that changing the culture was, was the most important part. And that was also the hardest part, right? And now when, when you look at, at even at Billboard, Billboard was the number four publisher um, on social media ranked by Shareably for all of 2017. And that's, you know, I, I may be messing that up. It might have been a, a different one of those ranking systems. But, but it's just that, that doesn't seem organic to what Billboard was in 2013. So the staff has done a tremendous job. It's interesting because in some ways, you know, you're too t- covering, you know, Hollywood and covering music. It's almost like you've been faced with a double disruption. First of all, the disruption in your model, and then there's the disruption of the people you cover. So everyone knows, you know, especially music. Just first Napster and then Spotify and streaming put that whole business on on edge. Like, did that hurt your your coverage of it, or did it make it more interesting? I think it's the latter. I think that we're actually people are more, especially the the, the industry folks are more reliant on our coverage, right? Because they're in such crazy transition. If you look, I think 2013 was was the bottom um, of the music industry where they had seen recorded music sales decline mm-hmm. uh, annually from 2000 to 2013. It was the bottom of the U, and then things started to build up slowly. This year, you're seeing music revenues, recorded music revenues, up double digits, like mm-hmm. 10 12% year over year. So we're seeing an entire industry embrace digital disruption as we also are embracing it. So it sort of compounded the interest in, in how we covered it. Mm-hmm. And it, it also just, it's interesting, there's been so much, it's been a crazy few years in, in Hollywood. Um, a couple of years, you know, two years ago, especially around the Oscars, there was the whole lack of diversity controversy. And now, obviously, there's the, you know, the, the Harvey Weinstein, that's just been incredible through everything, but especially Hollywood. How do, how do you guys face that? How do you cover it? Um, just what's, is that, how has that changed what the newsrooms do and kind of the attitude? 
I think that we've certainly been a leader there, and uh, and it makes uh, it's a it's a really interesting time in our society. And, and you can there's all sorts of theories on on how and why we got here. The the thing that's important is that it's really healthy, and I think our coverage of it has been really really good and responsible. And and I really commend you know the the newsroom has done a fantastic job of making sure that their fingers on the pulse. Not only as it relates to Harvey Weinstein or, or Me Too or some of those things, but also even you know uh, equality and pay. And we we had just run um, the the story of uh, Ellen Pompeo um, from Grey's Anatomy okay. about being being the highest paid woman on uh, on TV, and that literally that story was on the cover of the Hollywood Reporter mm-hmm. two days after. Mark Wahlberg had donated his fees for for the reshoots mm-hmm. to two times up, right? And so our we've really had uh, an ability to be the first mover because we're so intact in touch with Hollywood from the inside as opposed mm-hmm. to people covering it from the outside looking in. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Support for the Forbes Interview podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask why. Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th with Rocket Mortgage, Mortgage, you get a transparent online process. It gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. I want to talk more about, you know, the, the jump of Billboard and Hollywood Reporter from you know being magazines digital because many people say America's best export is our culture, especially our music and um, our movies and TV now. How is that being able to spread across the globe digitally and hit markets in, in Asia and in Europe and Africa and South America? How has that changed your business? So, or if it has at all? No, it's changed a lot. So one of the first things I did um, upon coming on board was set off in to build a, a robust licensing business. Um, most of our revenues come from advertising. We're an ad, we're an ad supported uh, platform, and and in looking at that, that becomes uh, challenging in a cyclical economy, right? So one of the first things we did is said, how do we diversify our, our revenue streams? And in that, we looked internationally, and we looked internationally through licensing. So as far back as twenty. It's early 2014. I went to I went to China and did my first trip trip to Asia, mm-hmm. and we started to develop um, licensing channels in that in that region. We have a, a full time um, person who who's an expat who lives in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. who, who's our, our director of Asia, and and we've built I think really healthy channels into into all of these countries. Where now I, I believe that we're in six or seven countries in, mm-hmm. in Southeast in Southeast Asia, and what's interesting for us is. Music is an, is an international language, right? And it travels really well. And what Billboard does at its core is charts, and and that can translate across any region mm-hmm. where there's where there's music consumption. And on Hollywood, Hollywood is is now not a location; it's an idea, yeah. right? And you know, domestic box office is is generally trumped by international. 
um, the, the ability for, for us to just follow the trend of exporting our IP um, was was serendipitous for us, right? We're, That's why we love all these big action scenes now because you don't have to translate them. Everyone, you know, a car chase is a car chase in any language. Exactly. <laughs> and it's same, same with animation, right? Yeah. It's just the, these things uh, export very, very well. So we made a conscious effort to go out and develop really strong sales channels for, for our IP mm-hmm. and for our brand in, in all of those regions. And now if you look at Billboard, Billboard in the month of January was 48% international, 52% domestic in our in our traffic profile hmm. and that's you know over 40 million monthly uniques that you know 20 of those are, are coming from outside the u.s that also gives us a lot of ammo to launch new businesses whether it be our music festival that we can launch internationally or the billboard music awards which is now in 200 countries wow. right uh, we have a billboard products line where we do speaker pills and headphones and that's already an eight figure a year business so we we seeded it very early and now it's given us the opportunity to go and lay additional interesting businesses that mm-hmm. don't live with inside the publishing model on top of that. Is there, um, in terms of your international traffic, do people care about, is it they, they care more about the, the celebrity and kind of character coverage or do they care about the business more or is it, is it kind of both ways? It's definitely, it it's definitely the prior. It's, more celebrity, it, it's coverage. celebrity coverage. So we are doing the first cover English language cover of a band called BTS mm-hmm. in the United States. BTS is a, is a K-pop band. They're the number one band on social media in the world. Mm-hmm. It's nine members. They absolutely break the internet with everything that, we, that, that they do. And our early international ambitions have given us access to acts like BTS that now in the U.S. are absolutely blowing up. They're going to do five or six dates it, it, you know sold out at the Staples Center in you know this year it's it's absolutely uh, an anomaly and and us having all of these outposts and being in all these other countries help us both distribute our 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 local celebrity as well as import new and I think that that's becoming a very very interesting part of our business and when you cover your licensees cover um, the other like is there a Hollywood, is there like a Bollywood reporter arm is there a there's a huge Nigerian film industry popping up that's yeah. all but like, do you do your foreign industries does Hollywood Reporter cover those things or is it more of the yes kind of America so so we have we have both domestic and, and international uh, coverage from our own newsroom mm-hmm. as well we're in fourteen different territories uh, the the majority of that fourteen I think six or seven are, are in Southeast Asia uh, a few in. Uh, in, in Latin America, I think Brazil, Argentina, Venezuela, uh, Russia, Italy. Uh, you know, so so we're we're fairly well spread out throughout the globe, but uh, the majority of that is is in Southeast Asia. And what what we're finding interesting is that we end up now taking it, it's about fifty percent of our of our local content, and then fifty percent of regional content ends, ends up in, in all those things. Now we have a channel, a, a vertical within Billboard.com US that takes articles, the best articles from all of those 14 licensees and publishes them, translates them to English and publishes publishes them locally. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that traffic start to explode for us. Hmm. Let's talk, um, we've been talking about the business of media. Let's talk about kind of music and Hollywood right now. What, just in general, what's exciting you? What's, what's everyone buzzing about? Um, What what can we expect this next year or, or two and just in the industry, whether it's themes or deliverables or just what we t- like the business wise. So, let's start with Hollywood. Hollywood is is in a a content renaissance right now that I don't know uh, has has probably ever 
it's unprecedented back to, you know, Howard Hughes in, in the 30s, you know, starting to really invest in, in content. And is this the TV streaming kind of binging kind of feel? Yeah. What, what it is, in, in my opinion, is you have traditional content distributors who work off a pay and ad supported model, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they do both and sometimes they, they combine them. Then you have streaming, Netflix, Hulu, which, which is a new model and, and very, very interesting. And then you have the biggest companies in the world who are accessing content that may be for reasons other than traditional models. For example, Apple may want to get into the music or scripted or full motion yeah. and sound content business to sell more iPhones. Amazon may want to be in the content business so that more people shop on Amazon.com. Yeah, but they sell more Prime memberships and all that stuff. Right. So, so it becomes very interesting because what we're getting is we're getting traditional models, which, per, which provide uh, you know, benefactor support to artists who want to create. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a world for that. And now we're having new dollars come in that provide benefactor support for creatives that actually don't have to live by the old models. So it's, it's incremental. So now we're having accretive creation of, of, and that's why we're seeing this TV renaissance of all of this amazing content, so much so that people can't even keep track of, of, of what they need to watch. Yeah. And it's all incremental. We're not seeing older players die off. So we're not seeing people go away. You're getting more and more good content. And I think that that is, is especially interesting. Yeah, it seems like writers and directors and actors can really do stuff that's crazy. I, mean, I, I just You start streaming, you see, pe- you see actors that you never th- think they're playing that role, and it's just... For an audience, it's great. It must be. I mean, it must be. I can't imagine how many Hollywood writers there are because there's so much script out there. It's it's pretty incredible. Yeah, and and what's interesting about it is there's there's the economics currently behind it to support it all. So we're just going to have more and more great content for people who want to consume it. Can they all win? Can you know? Can you have Apple spending billions of dollars on content? Can you have Netflix spending billions of dollars? Can you have Hulu in an HBO? I mean, these HBO you know series feel like they're they're just small countries i can't imagine what the budget is for westworld or game of thrones and all that stuff so i believe if the economics are if the economics hold that apple you know or or other companies are in the content business for reasons that exist outside the traditional pay and ad supported yeah uh, you can see that sustained you can see incremental great content created now where things get really interesting is let's use the analogy of the NBA. If you added 15 new teams to the NBA, the games would be unwatchable. Mm-hmm. They'd be unwatchable because you don't have the caliber of player at the highest level to make it interesting for an audience. It would be like going and watching high school games, yeah. literally, because there's just not the talent base. So at some point, even if you have everyone winning... D3 college. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's literally... At some point, if you have all of these content models and... All of them are working economically. They're going to start to fall short creatively because you just don't have the talent out there, writers, directors in front of the camera Mm -hmm. to create spectacular work at that scale. And we'll be right back after this quick break. 
This year, the office cubicle turns 50 years old. It hails from an age when work was done on typewriters and smoking at your desk was the norm. Today, employees are expecting more from their workspace. They want flexible and active spaces where they can collaborate and feel energized. Veridesk Active Workspace Solutions make it easy to encourage more movement to any workday. Being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health, boost energy, and increase productivity. Veridesk has a variety of desk solutions that replace traditional office setups, require little to no assembly, and are ready to use in minutes. Plus, Veridesk products are made from commercial-grade materials meant to last a lifetime. They're easy to move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. You can try Veridesk risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns if you're not satisfied. See it for yourself at Veridesk.com. That's V-A-R-I-Desk.com. And this podcast is brought to you by Amica Auto Home and Life Insurance. When you call Amica, you can expect a different experience because Amica is all about customer service that goes above and beyond the ordinary. You always get the help you need when you call Amica. Visit meetamica.com slash Forbes today. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like good hair day kind of good. Phone charge to 100% good. Getting dressed can feel just like that when you have a Trunk Club stylist. Because not only do we send you lots of outfits and accessories, we also teach you how to style them. And since we're a Nordstrom company, you know you'll be well taken care of. Look and feel great every single day with Trunk Club. Meet your personal stylist at trunkclub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com. Um, what are you, in terms of, like, and also talking about scale, you have the companies like, you know, these giant you know, merge if you have Disney buying up here. Like, what, what's what's the buzz with that? I think as as traditional models change, and in every industry, consolidation occurs. Um, we saw this coming probably eighteen months ago. The Hollywood Reporter actually wrote a great article um, in anticipation of this a long time ago, looking at the at the media landscape and just saying things are going to have to change, and that change meant consolidation. Mm-hmm. And I think through all disruption, you immediately see consolidation. Because the only way to navigate through any sort of margin pressure is through uh, eliminating redundancy. Mm-hmm. And what are you seeing in the music world? So is streaming saving the industry? Uh, right now, it certainly is. Uh, I think that streaming, it, it, it's starting to reach scale in the U.S. There's probably 50-some-odd million uh, paying subs in the U.S., at at a hundred million, I think that you get back to almost the the heyday of of CDs, and you do so with with a distribution model which is uh, which is which has a much greater margin. Uh, we're starting to see a lot more activity around you know event tentpole type releasing of music. Uh, the thing that's interesting for music is that you've unbundled the album, yeah, and people still release bodies of work, and I. Th- think that something needs to change there. When you look at an artist like Drake, who's the top streaming artist, he's doing things very, very differently than the traditional. I make 12 songs, I release them, I put them out in a CD. And and I think that where we're going to see a lot of really interesting and innovative uh, distribution in the future is going to be how artists release music, how frequently they release music, and do they release it in mini bundles mm-hmm. or one or two songs at a time. Uh, and like, like you said, like you know, there, there'll still be those classic albums that just, the whole album's incredible. But then you, we've all bought in CDs for that one song. 
And you know now, like yeah, you can, if you're an artist, instead of spending you know three months in a studio for twelve songs, just spend a month in a studio, and make like in one awesome song, and you'll probably be okay. Yep, and I think that we're going to start, and we have started to see the same in Hollywood, right? Obviously, binge viewing is is a phenomenon that that is relatively new, relative to the last hundred years of, of filmmaking. Uh, there's a a show that came out on Netflix last month that was called The Day of the World. F-U-C-K-I-N-G ended, <laughs> and, uh, and it was a very different model. It was eight 20-minute episodes hmm. that actually ran in a cohesive story, uh, and it was, it was starting to play with that model. I think that we might even see uh, seven-minute episodes that can span the length of a full season of Game of Thrones. Right, so so it'll just be super, everything just super tight. Yeah, super tight. Because if you look at traditional television viewing, if you watch Friends, it's six minutes of content, three minutes of commercial, six minutes of content, three minutes of commercial. Right. Yeah. So you can it's actually like, str- like, a, like a Simpsons is like eighteen minutes long. Exactly, okay. and you can actually string that together for twenty minutes or for ten hours. Mm-hmm. Right, if the story is cohesive. So I think that we're going to start to see really interesting things, and as our phones. Um, become more and more of, of, the, of, of, of a, a native place to view full, fully highly produced scripted content, mm-hmm. we're going to see those models change. When you look at China, China is, I think it's something like 65 or 70% of, of, of the streaming is done, is done on, on mobile phones, mm-hmm. like full, you know, full episodes uh, versus television screens. Right, that phenomena will have to come back. It, that 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 will continue to proliferate. And that changes how you make them. You don't you don't need these big sprawling landscapes. You can almost it's almost portraits. It's almost yeah. And is is the are these new are the Alexas and the Google Homes? Is that changing the music industry? Because we were talking off mic that we both have young kids, and I don't know about you, but I always have my hands full. And someone got, got me an Alexa, and like I listen to more music now because if I'm I can just say like play this song without you know having to get up. You know, twist things, turn things around. Like it's just more of it's more automatic. Like our household is consuming a lot more content just because I can just ask and it appears. Uh, I'm really, really, really excited about what Alexa type products and AI will do for our lives in general. Certainly, it's going the the easiest use cases is, is going to start with Alexa. What should I watch tonight? Alexa, give me the playlist that you know is going to most fit my mood for today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly doing it as well. I think that the all of the public uh, signaling that companies like Amazon and Google have done and, and even Facebook is that these things are continuing continuing to proliferate. More and more people are using them in the same manner that, that you described. And, and I think what that's going to do for how we get fed content in the very near future is going to change a lot. It's going to help us make our decisions. And, and I think ultimately that will evolve into something that helps you in your everyday life in a way that is as interesting as the way that your life changed when you got your first smartphone. Mm-hmm. Right, give me a prediction. It's five years from now. You, you come home on a Friday night. You're exhausted. You're gonna, you want to you know, watch a movie or listen to music. What, do you, what is your household like? What, what are, what are we going to be doing? Well, you're certainly going to be seeing um, day and date release movies. Right. If if there's a new Star Wars movie out, I, I have a feeling that for for a for the right price, you will be able to watch it in your home. Kind of like that Sean Parker model. That, yes. You know, you're paying you know whatever twenty thirty bucks to. Yeah, we yeah. talked about it. You you have kids, right? So yeah. let's let's. I've been to a movie in like four of, years. Of course like not. An actual right? physical movie. Yeah. And and for you to do so, let's say it's it's three hours, and you pay your your. Uh, 
babysitter $25 an hour. So it costs you the price of the ticket and $75 to, to go to, to don't go say to 25. I don't want to, I don't want to give them a raise, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you get the point. Yeah. It's right? like a hundred dollar so, movie for like, yeah. right. So now if you said you can put the kids to bed and watch that same movie in the privacy of your home, because for, for $49, that's actually a bargain for you. And both the theater and the studio get requisite, um, dollars for, for, for serving that, uh, that movie to you. Right. And that doesn't uh, yeah, mean that. But I'm saying, why am I like okay? So why am I paying money to keep this theater in business? Because the theaters need to become better at making the theater an experience in and of itself, mm-hmm. right? You don't always want to consume content in your home. You don't always want to be in your home. No. So if if you can create a great environment, right? I think that that's up to the stu- to, to the theater owners to create that that great environment. It's the same reason why you don't just stay home all the time except yeah. for work, right? You, you have to have some entertainment that exists beyond your household yeah and some movies are great for on the couch and some movies you want to have 100 people around you cheering and you know giant screens and that kind of thing exactly um so okay uh, movies you know direct like same day kind of stuff yeah i think i think that movies direct same day type of stuff i think that as the is the universe of full motion and sound content um, becomes more vast and there's more and more and more of these scripted things i think narrowing down curation through artificial intelligence, right mm. through through past habits, uh, will become more and more important. Because I don't know about you, but when I try to find something to watch, it's pure paralysis. Oh, it's there, crazy, especially with two people. Exactly. One, yeah. There's, There's just too, many too much FOMO everywhere. Yeah. So you need, and and the problem is, no one can ever. There, there's no one as good at curation as machine learning. It's mm. because it's so personalized. Uh, one of the things that that I see as our biggest challenge as as a, a a magazine publisher is that specifically, right? When I think about the future of print, we love print. Print provides a premium experience that is not precedented by your phone, right? You, your phone is a much more efficient way to get content, yeah. but it's a more premium experience in print. The problem is, the more and more that you read stories on 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 your phone or or other places where where it can be tracked and there's an instant feedback loop the smarter that those places that you read digitally should get at serving you the next content that you want to see now that is impossible to replicate in print because of the sheer nature of how it's created and the 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 timeline difference Mm -hmm. between publishing to print and publishing to, to your phone Another beauty of print is I always think of it as I'm, I'm biased, obviously, but it's kind of like a liberal arts education that, you know, if when you're on your phone and like you're going to read the stuff that you're looking for, but with print, you might come across a story that you would never search for. And you kind of like it's, you, you read it because it's in front of you and you, you're smarter and you enjoy it. Cause it's so out of you left field. It's kind of like we're having with news. Like if depending on Facebook, like you can read super liberal stuff, you can read super conservative stuff because the algorithm feeds you that. Is there going to be an algorithm that says, like, I know you love Westerns, but maybe you should watch this French film because we think you'll like it. And it kind of, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's easy to kind of feed. It's the old TiVo kind of thing. When I think there was a story in the New York Times that was like, my TiVo thinks I'm a Nazi because I watched like one History Channel thing and it just saves everything on like Nazi Germany movies. Like, how do we prevent that from people just getting a funnel of fed the stuff that they think they're going to pander to? And I think that that is, that is the job of, of the algorithm and the machine to learn. But if you look at, at a service like Spotify or Apple Music, now they're getting there. Mm-hmm. I have a Discover Weekly uh, playlist on my uh, on, on on Spotify that is getting so good 
at telling it, it introducing me to music that I had never been introduced before and even sounds that have almost nothing in common with the majority of my listening, hmm. but that I stop and say, wow, this song's amazing. I have to add it to my playlist. And every time I do that, it's getting better at bringing me more abstract stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the thing that, like I said, will change our society, uh, I believe, like nothing before, aside, like the, the last thing that changed our society was, was the smartphone. Right. The next thing that will change our society as drastically as the smartphone will be artificial intelligence, Mm -hmm. because every time the machine learns, it gets better at better at introducing things to you that you didn't know that you wanted. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but um, virtual reality, augmented reality, is it? The fu- is it going to be a future thing, or is it kind of? Remember when Avatar came out, everyone's like, everything's three D, and no one cared. Are we still going to be like just watching on screens, or you think it's there's some headset stuff in the future in Our, general? I mean, there's always going to be the niche. Yeah, I, I I think for virtual reality, it's it's a niche that will that will get to scale on certain applications. Just porn, <laughs> video gaming, actually, video yeah. gaming. Um, there there could be certain you know concert experiences. The the bonding that occurs, or, or even the the interpersonal connections that occur with eye contact mm-hmm. and, and, and and you know mutual laughs or mutual cries, um, I I don't believe that 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 will go away because humans need other humans uh-huh. for certain applications like video games. Uh, I, I think that that it will almost go entirely into uh, into a, a, a virtual reality place. Uh, the problem with virtual reality is, is you know, your self-perception um, when, when you have a, a headphone on mm-hmm. uh, or, or a, a headpiece on uh, is, is something that will take the human mind a really long time to overcome. Yeah. And I think anyone with any vanity will just not be able to mentally cross that line of not being able to perceive themselves and what someone looking at them could see. Now, augmented reality uh, with the smartphone could start to get really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. And that'll take time, but it'll manifest itself as just another tool. It's just another app where, you know, as opposed to having to look at, you know, the the cover of of Forbes to to figure out, you know, who this, who Brian Karantik is, right? You could just hit it with that and there could be a pop-up that tells you, you know, mm-hmm. everything about him that you, oh, okay, great. Now maybe I'll buy this magazine yeah. or maybe I'll do this, right? It'll, it'll be an, an app that helps you live your life. Cool. All right. But foreseeable future, we're still watching movies on, on flat screen TVs. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, this has been great. I appreciate the time. Um, before you go, give me two or three must stream TV shows for the audience. Ozark, uh, was my number one, uh, Streaming show last year, uh, new show. Um, the day the world fucking ended um, was the the most interesting mm-hmm. um, iteration on on television that uh, that I've seen. And what else did I love? I mean, Breaking Bad was the best series I've ever seen. If no. you haven't if you haven't streamed that, you should. Yeah, take take a month off and just stream Breaking Bad. That was great. John Amato, the CEO of Hollywood Reporter, Billboard Media Group. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. 
That's it for this episode of the Forbes interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a question or comment, please reach us at interview at podcastone.com. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger. I used to host the Art of Charm podcast, but now it's time for something new. The Jordan Harbinger Show. Did you know you can be entertained and actually get a boost in your life at the same time? On this show, we dig into the superpowers of the world's most interesting thinkers and top talents. Then we deliver them to you right into your ears. But I get it. We're not all superheroes. That's why we give you their blueprint so you can live what you listen. After a thousand interviews, learning five languages, and getting arrested in a country that doesn't even exist anymore, I'm now more ready than ever to introduce you to The Jordan Harbinger Show. Listen free to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the Podcast One app. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like finding an onion ring in your french fries good. Feel that way every single day when you work with a Trunk Club personal stylist. Meet your stylist at TrunkClub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com. At the border. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.